We expected, as I just said, we might get new charges against Donald Trump today, but we did not expect this. At the beginning of the day, all eyes were on this federal courthouse in Washington, D.C., where we have been awaiting a possible indictment of former President Trump for his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. That indictment did not happen today. But then this evening, special counsel Jack Smith did issue new charges against Trump, just not for trying to overturn the 2020 election. Today, Jack Smith issued additional charges against Donald Trump in the other case against him, the one dealing with his handling of classified documents down at Mar-a-Lago. Special Counsel Smith issued what is called in the business a superseding indictment to add three new charges to the Mar-a-Lago case today. That's one count, one new count of willful retention of national defense information and two new counts of obstruction against both Mr. Trump and his valet, Walt Nauda. The special counsel also charged a new third defendant in that case, a man named Carlos de Oliveira, who is the head of maintenance at Mar-a-Lago. And it is with the addition of Mr. de Oliveira where things get really quite interesting. Today's new charges all center around one of the enduring mysteries of this case, the Mar-a-Lago security footage. Remember, that footage is the reason we know in the very first place that Trump had boxes of documents moved around his property in the days leading up to a visit from federal investigators. And we know that because there was literally tape of Walt Nauta schlepping boxes to and from that storage room to other parts of the property. But there were also gaps in the security footage. And now Jack Smith is alleging that Trump conspired with Nauta and this new defendant, the head of maintenance, Carlos de Oliveira, to destroy that footage. After the FBI subpoenaed the security footage, a series of phone calls took place between Trump, Nauta, and de Oliveira. Following those calls, Mr. Nauta, who was scheduled to fly to Illinois with former President Trump, Nauta suddenly changed his travel plans to rush back to Mar-a-Lago. This is quoting from the new indictment. Nauta provided inconsistent explanations to his colleagues for his sudden travel to Florida. At 7.14 p.m. on June 24th, he texted one person that he would not be traveling with Trump the next day because he had a family emergency and used the shushing emojis. Shushing emojis, as in, shh, it's a secret, which is okay then. Around the same time, Mr. De Oliveira reached out to another Trump employee who we believe was the head of IT down at Mar-a-Lago, and he is likely Trump employee number four. Quoting again from the indictment. On Monday, June 27th, 2022, at 9.48 a.m., de Oliveira walked to the IT office where Trump employee number four was working with another employee in the IT department. De Oliveira requested that Trump employee number four step away from the office so that de Oliveira and Trump employee number four could speak, could talk. At 9.49 a.m., Trump employee number four and de Oliveira left the area of the IT office together and walked through a basement tunnel. De Oliveira took Trump employee number four to a small room known as an audio closet near the white and gold ballroom. Once inside the audio closet, De Oliveira and Trump employee number four had the following exchange. De Oliveira told Trump employee number four that their conversation should remain between the two of them. De Oliveira asked Trump employee number four, how many days the server retained footage? Trump employee four responded that he believed it was approximately 45, 45 days. De Oliveira told employee number four that the boss wanted the server deleted. 
Trump employee four responded that he would not know how to do that and that he did not believe that he would have the rights to do that. Trump employee four told De Oliveira that De Oliveira would have to reach out to another employee who is a supervisor of security for Trump's business organization. De Oliveira then insisted to Trump employee four that the boss wanted the server deleted and asked, what are we going to do? So that's clandestine chats in the audio room about deleting security footage as requested by the boss. And Trump was allegedly being apprised of all of this as it was happening. Again, according to the indictment, at 3.55 p.m. that same day, Trump called De Oliveira and they spoke for approximately three and a half minutes. About six weeks later, the FBI searched Trump's home, and the indictment says that just over two weeks after the FBI discovered classified documents in the storage room and Trump's office, Nauta called another Trump employee and said words to the effect of, someone just wants to make sure Carlos is good. Carlos, as in Carlos de Oliveira. In response, the other Trump employee told Nauta that de Oliveira was loyal and that de Oliveira wouldn't do anything to affect his relationship with Trump. That same day, Trump called de Oliveira and told de Oliveira that Trump would get de Oliveira an attorney. Joining me now is Devlin Barrett, who covers the FBI and the Justice Department for The Washington Post. Devlin, um, a lot of us have been focused on Washington, D.C. Obviously, things have been happening down with that grand jury in Florida. What has changed in the intervening weeks to result in this new superseding indictment as far as the DOJ is concerned? So I think at what you're seeing here is the culmination of, of some issues that we've reported about before and have finally come to a head. Specifically, what was Carlos de Oliveira's role in all this? And there's both factual reasons to do this and there's some legal strategy here, too. Because remember, Walt's, Walt Nauta's lawyer has, has signaled that he wants to try to get out of the case with Trump. He wants a separate trial. But what this new indictment does is it ties Walt Nauta much more closely to Trump. It, it creates an allegation that Nauta is essentially going on a secret mission for the former president. And I think that dynamic will serve to, among, among other things, undercut any efforts by Walt Nauta to get out of this case. Is it your assessment? I mean, do you have any reporting on maybe a cooperating witness here? Is that why these charges are coming to light now as opposed to earlier with the first tranche of indictments? I think there was some work that needed still to be done on the Carlos de Oliveira piece of this investigation, and prosecutors did not want to wait to resolve that before they charged Donald Trump. So that's that's part one. Two, there is there are clearly, as this indictment shows, cooperating witnesses that provided evidence against Carlos de Oliveira and others uh, in this case, including Walt Nauta. Devlin, one one quick question for you. Are they still interviewing witnesses down in, in Florida? Is this the end of this case? Is this it or could there actually still be more? Oh, I, I don't think this is it. We knew Carlos Dolivera was on their their essentially their target list. Uh, so that's not it's not really that much of a surprise to see them finally making a decision on that. But they are not done with this investigation. There there are still other issues involving honesty and possible obstruction that that prosecutors are trying to understand. Fascinating. Devlin Barrett, thank you for your great reporting. Thank you for your time tonight. 
I want to bring in Tali Farhadi and Weinstein, former federal and state prosecutor, and Donya Perry, former deputy chief of the criminal division for the Southern District of New York. Ladies, um, not the indictments that we thought we would be talking about this evening. Uh, throw out the bingo card. Let's first talk about the charges. Um, one count, willful retention of national defense information, maximum sentence of 10 years. Let's set that aside for the moment. Two counts, conspiracy to obstruct justice related to deleting the security camera footage, maximum sentence of 20 years. Um, Put this, Danya, if you would, in the context of the other charges that Trump is facing for Mar-a-Lago. When we say superseding, we all often think these are more serious, are they? No, they're as serious. But the the more charges that are added, and particularly, I think, the obstruction type charges, the worse it gets mm-hmm. for the defendants. The The one additional retention of classified documents charge is serious because so much has been said and so much ink has been spilled about this particular document that was not only retained, but according to reporting and according to the indictment, uh, was actually disseminated in Bedminster. Um, That is going to be a very important piece of of evidence at trial. It also, charging it, ensures that that recording and testimony about it will come in. I think otherwise there might have been an argument about whether it fits a pattern. Now it will come in, and that's devastating. And, of course, the destruction of evidence charges, known as spoliation in the business, are are equally devastating. It, it really does go to a lot has been said about consciousness of guilt, but prosecutors love evidence that shows a guilty mind, especially for the former president, who usually says whatever— is on his mind. Yeah. And that's usually his best gambit. Here, clearly there was concealment and even destruction. And that is is generally quite fatal. Well, we don't actually know whether the security footage was tampered with at this juncture, right? That's not actually in the indictment, Tali. There's a suggestion right. they wanted to do it. There are gaps. But as yet, we don't know. That sort of seems to be beside the point. It's the intention that's enough, right? Exactly. It's totally beside the point because they wanted to destroy it. And as Sonia said, you don't want to destroy something unless you thought what you were doing on that tape was wrong. And so there are serious charges on their own, but they kind of cast an extra cloud over everything else or sort of back up all of the other charges. They really tell you that he knew that what he had done in retaining those documents in Mar-a-Lago was wrong and he wanted to erase the record. Well, and I think as a public has to be sort of shown the reasons why this matters, the idea that there's guy, the IT guy and the valet are huddling in the audio room, stepping away from the office, don't, this remains between the two of us. I mean, it is out of, like, it's, it's, it's a conspiracy in the most obvious sense, right? And the suggestion in the document and the indictment is that Trump knew about all, was monitoring all of this all along. That seemed very pointed to me, the inclusion of the conversations with Trump. Do you read it that way, Tali? Absolutely. The reference to the boss sort of monitoring this entire situation and them reporting back to him and and them stating over and over again what his desires were. The boss yeah. wants to see this destroyed. And that is really damning evidence against him. But OK, so is well, my second question, though, is, Danya, the, the boss wanting this stuff deleted is is that I'm not a lawyer. Is that circumstantial, though? Because it's not it's not a direct conversation with Donald Trump. It's someone saying the boss wants this deleted. Does that matter that it, they don't have someone on the record saying Trump told me to delete it? It's 
it's basically an interlocutor saying the boss wants it deleted. No, that will come in because there are conspiracy counts here and there's a scheme that's alleged. Statements that in a civil trial would be considered hearsay Mm. can come in against the defendant. So that should come in. I'll note a lot is riding on employee number four, clearly, who is, I won't even say cooperating because it's not clear he did anything wrong. He is giving testimony and evidence. Clearly, the, the government is going to want for this new defendant, Mr. De Oliveira, to cooperate as well, because otherwise it doesn't seem like, you know, this this indictment is chock full of recordings and documents. And clearly their cell phone records and their signal conversations. There's a lot of, of documentary record evidence here. But that conversation, which is so critical, is a verbal one. Mm-hmm. And it relies, again, on employee number four. And so that's I won't say it's a weak point, but it's something that clearly the government will want to shore up as much as possible. Do you do you is this an indictment as much for Trump as it is to flip Walt Nauda? I mean, it just seems to me at one point, Tali, it seemed like, okay, Walt Nauda's utility as a cooperating witness has diminished. With this, it sort of seems like Walt Nauda's back in the catbird seat and that, you know, there's so much pressure on him. He's so clearly in the center of this as, for lack of a better term, a henchman to carry out Trump's plot. Do you think this increase—I mean, if you're his lawyer, are you saying now it's time to talk to the DOJ, sir? Yeah, well, look, if I were the DOJ, I would want Nauda or de Oliveira on the witness stand giving the story, narrating all of the documents and all the different things that we've talked about. It's always just much better to have somebody kind of tell the story live. And I actually think what we're seeing here is that— there was an attempt to get de Oliveira to cooperate because the new charges against him that have to do with his false statements to the FBI in January are so obviously false. <laughs> yes. You know, that's not like yes, they have subtle. a transcript of them and yeah. they're just blatantly lying. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you interview somebody and they tell you something that you don't realize at the time is false and it takes time to figure out that they were lying. But here he says, I don't know anything about moving anything anywhere in Mar-a-Lago. He almost says, I've never even been to Mar-a-Lago. I mean, it's that <laughs> What's Mar-a-Lago? So, footage that he tried to delete. Yes. <laughs> he knows that they have him. That's what we were talking about exactly. before. It makes right. Well, sense. so they've had that hanging over him all this time. And so that tells me they've been in conversation with him saying, we can charge you with this. Yeah. And not to mention all the other stuff if you don't come along. And either they gave up on him because they've decided he wasn't credible, they couldn't use him on the stand, or he decided to give up on them to, you know, stick with Trump. Chance chance it with Trump. Hope for a pardon, you know, if all the things happen that would put Trump in a position to pardon him. And when those negotiations broke down is when they had to bring these extra charges, even if it means, as it as it does, that this is going to delay the case. Oh, well, okay. Just put a, put a pin in that one. Yeah. I got to ask, the, we talk about employee number four. We don't know if he's an cooperating witness, but he, he, I'm saying he. The reporting, the early reporting is that employee number four is Yusil Tavares, who is the head of the IT department at Mar-a-Lago. He is being represented by Stanley Woodward, who is also Walt Nauda's lawyer, who is being paid for by Donald Trump's super PAC or has been paid by Trump's super PAC. That seems interesting to me, Danya, right? I mean, if one of his clients is potentially cooperating witness and the other 
is diametrically opposed to him, legally speaking. How do you represent both of them without a conflict of interest? I don't know. <laughs> There's a conflict there. As far as, as we can tell, looking from the outside, um, that's a clear conflict. And I'd be surprised if that's not raised by the prosecution and they don't ask the judge for what's called a cursio hearing. But it's really to decide whether objectively whether or not there is, in fact, a conflict um, and so I think that's one of the things we can probably look to see. There are so many like question marks and so many more questions that I have, including everything you just raised. So, Tanya, thank you so much for your time. Tali, please hang with us. We have a lot more to get through in tonight's big breaking news, including new information about a sensitive classified document that Trump allegedly took to his golf club in New Jersey. Tanya was just talking about it. And that he waved around in front of people who did not have the clearance to see it. That's the Bedminster Audio coming up next. Hey, everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow. There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. Okay, buried in this 60-page superseding indictment is an additional charge against Donald Trump concerning the willful retention of national defense information. Remember that Trump was already facing 31 counts of willful retention of the classified documents he hoarded down at Mar-a-Lago. But this new 32nd count is a bit different. This is for a presentation concerning military activity in a foreign country. And that charge answers a question that was raised by the previous indictment about whether Trump had a certain document in his possession when this conversation took place at his Bedminster Golf Club in 2021. Take a listen. I just found, isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Mm-hmm. Except it is like highly confidential, yeah. <laughs> secret. This is secret information. <laughs> According to the superseding indictment, the document that Trump possessed and showed on July 21st, 2021, the one referenced in that very audio tape we just played, the document is charged as count 32 in this superseding indictment. Indictment. Still with me tonight is former federal and state prosecutor Tolly Farhadi and Weinstein. Tolly, now we know that it wasn't just bluster, at least according to the DOJ, It sounds like Trump had the Iran war plans in his hand that he was waving around to whoever was in his office. Why are they charging this now? So they've always had the document that we know. And remember, Alex, they had more than 100 documents and only charged 31, not 32. So they had made an initial decision 
of which to leave on the cutting room floor. And I think that there were two categories of things. One were the ones that were didn't have jury appeal, I think, were too boring, maybe were technically classified, but didn't really tell you why this was a danger to the country right. that he was retaining them. And then, of course, more importantly, in these cases, prosecutors often hold back ones that are so sensitive that they don't want to expose them in an open trial. And generally, the agencies that have what we call the equities in those documents that did the work in putting together They're the like, information. They're like, don't you dare. Yes, they get to weigh in and say, no, it's not worth it to prosecute based on this one. So I think this fell into that pile. And they eventually got I think, a witness who Hmm. or some other evidence that connected it to the waving around at Bedminster. And once they made that connection, they decided that it was worth including in the indictment. And I think that's for two reasons. One is, as we talked about a bit earlier, this means that this is going to get in front of the jury. Before, they would have had to litigate a bit whether evidence of an uncharged crime could come in, because that's Ah. generally considered prejudicial to a defendant to say, here are other bad things that he did that we're going to tell you about without charging him. So there are various rules for the admission of that evidence. And now they don't have to deal with that. They Hmm. short circuit all of that. But I also think it just has a lot of jury appeal because it's so serious. Yeah. A a war plan against Iran. And the reasons for bringing it around or keeping it are so unserious. Yes, exactly. And I I would want to be able to say that sentence to a jury and now they can. And, and it sounds like the difference maker is they have someone who can confirm who was in the room at that time in Ben Minster. Yes, indeed. He was waving around the Iran war plans. The DOJ was like, oh, check. We have those in our possession. We got them back. And the first exactly. tranche of documents that were returned to us after we begged Trump for an unspecified number of months. They have them. They could say, we know that this was real. This was really the president waving around secret military plans to people to basically own Mark Milley, even though he didn't own Mark Milley, Um, own in the in the colloquial sense. Not anyway. uh, (laughs) I got to ask you, as we talk about classified documents, NBC News, Laura Jarrett is reporting that Trump's lawyers are now requesting that Trump be able to discuss classified discovery outside of a classified setting, notably in his home. The prosecutors have responded, there is no basis for the defendant's request that he be given the extraordinary authority to discuss classified information at his residence. <clears throat> and it is particularly striking that he seeks permission to do so in the very location at which he is charged with willfully retaining the documents charged in this case. The irony, Tali, never been thicker. Indeed. I, I think what he's saying with this really borderline frivolous motion is I'm not like other defendants. And I don't want to be inconvenienced the way that other defendants are, because, of course, when you are given access to these things as a defendant, you have to be look at them in a skiff uh, with your lawyers, a just secure, like everybody else. Classified think, information it, a facility. facility. Indeed. Exactly. And I think I actually felt kind of sorry for his lawyers when I read this motion, because this can't be good for their credibility with the court. I mean, it, it suggests that as a team, they are not taking seriously what is at stake here. And it seems to me that he made a calculation that it was more important for him to sort of puff up that he's a former president and wants to continue to be regarded as such first. Uh, it, 
instead of sort of thinking about just the confines of this case. I mean, literally asking to do the thing that he is being charged for. Can I look at classified information in my ba- in my bathroom with a, a gold chandelier, please? No, absolutely not. Exactly. You're not allowed to do that. Maybe in some circular way, it's a, it, you know, it backs up his defense that he was allowed to do this. Well, also on the day when it's very clear that some of his employees are breaking with him and talking to the feds, this just seems like a dangerous legal strategy. This, this one, I think, was just a real mistake. Well, we are going to be following this. The questions will continue. I am so happy to have you on set. Thank you, Tali, for sharing your wisdom with us tonight. Tali Farhadi and Weinstein. When we come back, what, one of the revelations in the new indictments over Trump's handling of classified documents, what one of those revelations has in common with some of the most dramatic testimony in the January 6th committee's investigation. We're going to get reaction from committee member Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren coming up next. Get the latest updates on this year's high-stakes election with MSNBC's How to Win 2024 newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get expert analysis on key races sent straight to your inbox, including articles written by the host of the How to Win podcast, Jennifer Palmieri. Subscribe today at msnbc.com win. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and I'm excited to share some great news. Both The Saturday Show and The Sunday Show are available as a podcast. Every weekend, I look forward to bringing you the most important political news and the newsmakers who are creating policies that affect your life. For me, it's all about the conversation. That's when news is revealed and understanding begins. Search for Saturdays and Sundays with Jonathan Capehart and follow. In this new superseding indictment, there is a paragraph that is quite telling. Quote, Just over two weeks after the FBI discovered classified documents in the storage room in Trump's office, Nauta, as in Walt Nauta, called Trump employee number five and said words to the effect of, someone just wants to make sure Carlos is good. Carlos, as in Carlos de Oliveira, the Mar-a-Lago maintenance worker who was added to today's new indictment as a co-conspirator. In response, Trump employee number five told Walt Nauta that de Oliveira was loyal and that de Oliveira would not do anything to affect his relationship with Trump. That same day, at Nauta's request, Trump employee five confirmed in a signal chat group with Nauta and the PAC representative that de Oliveira was loyal. That same day, Trump called de Oliveira and told him that Trump would get de Oliveira an attorney. The lawyer Trump got to represent de Oliveira is a man named John Irving, and he has been paid by Donald Trump's Save America PAC as is an attorney named Stanley Woodward, who is representing two other clients involved in this matter, Walt Nauda, Trump's valet, and Yusil Tavares, the Mar-a-Lago IT worker who is presumed to be employee number four in this superseding indictment. Trump, or Trump's leadership pack, I should say, has made it a practice to pay for legal representation for the witnesses who might have important information as it concerns the former president. It's something the House January 6th committee explored at length after learning that Cassidy Hutchinson, a key witness, had been contacted by Trump allies to make sure that she, Cassidy Hutchinson, remained loyal. Remember that Ms. Hutchinson's first lawyer, Stefan Passantino, was being paid by Trump and was coaching her to tell committee investigators that she did not recall certain critical information. 
Joining us now is Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren of California. She was, of course, a member of the January 6th committee. And as she wrote in a recent MSNBC op-ed, special counsel Jack Smith is vindicating the committee's work. Congressman Lofgren, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I wonder what your thoughts were when you read that paragraph in this indictment about whether Mr. Mr. De Oliveira was loyal and whether or not that was the threshold with which he could get an attorney paid for by Trump. Well, it was reminiscent of the uh, testimony we got from Cassie Hutchinson, and not just that he was loyal, but that um, finding him a lawyer, making sure that he was on the team would keep him from uh, telling things or revealing things that would be damaging to uh, the ex-president. I mean, Hutchinson's testimony basically uh, was that uh, she she wouldn't she wasn't told how much uh, the lawyer was being paid. Um, you know, basically that this lawyer was uh, counseling her uh, not to tell the full truth, and in fact advised her to um, put herself in a position to be held in contempt of Congress. Uh, they dangled jobs in front of her to make sure that she stayed uh, loyal. It, it's sort of a mobster type approach to people in your, quote, organization. And it sort of reminded me of that. Do you I mean, I know these are sort of incentivized deals, but does this not qualify as witness intimidation? Well, this was one of the things that the committee referred to the Department of Justice. We we're very disturbed about the testimony. Um, we didn't have any, you know, corroborating evidence. Uh, but, you know, there were a lot of the witnesses that appeared before the committee were paid for by Trump world. That's their uh, their word, not just mine. And it did cause concern. Was uh, that part of the same sort of situation that happened with Ms. Hutchinson? Was it influencing their testimony? Was it keeping these witnesses under control? We, we were unable to find it out, but it made us very uh, suspicious. And we hope that the Department of Justice would look at it and uh, be able to do more digging than we were able to do. Well, I mean, we know that in Walt Nauta and employee number four, which is being reported to be Yusil Tavares, the head of IT at Mar-a-Lago, they are being represented by Stan Woodward. Woodward is being paid by Trump's PAC. There is a curious sort of dynamic here, which is Yusil Tavares is clearly, if he is employee number four, giving a lot of information to the DOJ, maybe even a cooperating witness. Walt Nauta, on the other hand, represented by the same lawyer, is very much not a cooperating witness. Does that strike you as an odd arrangement and potentially problematic as this case moves forward? Well, it it causes some anxiety. Um, you know, it is not necessarily improper for someone to help or assist with the payment of counsel if they're an employee or the like. That per se is not you know illegal or improper. But what the concern is, is that this is being used as a tool uh, to keep a witness under control, to keep them from being fully candid with uh, the Department of Justice. I can't say that that's what's happening here. We don't know that. But it does raise a concern. Uh, and really, I guess some of it is stemming from the testimony that Ms. Hutchinson gave us, because clearly that was the pattern that they were using uh, with her. And of course, it didn't work because she was an honest person. 
Well, yeah, and that's such a key point. It didn't work with Cassidy Hutchinson because she was an honest person. I mean, in your experience as a lawyer, does it all come down to these these clients just sort of looking at their own sort of internal moral compass and saying, what kind of person do I want to be? Or making this sort of naked like calculation that Trump might not be reelected and I could be in deep legal peril if I continue to basically align myself with him. I mean, what goes into convincing someone that their lawyer is not the best representative for them? Well, every person is different. But Ms. Hutchinson told a wonderful story, which was uh, she was advised to do the look in the mirror test and uh, that would she be able to look in the mirror and face herself based on what she was doing? And I think that's pretty good advice. Uh, If 10 years from now, you can't look yourself in the mirror and be proud of what you did, then you ought to think about doing something else. Uh, Certainly, there are calculations about, you know, will you end up in jail, et cetera, et cetera. But in the end, uh, having honor and being truthful is uh, something that we all should do. And, you know, if if you're not telling a lie, you never have to worry about what you said before. Just tell the truth. Truer words have never been spoke. Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren, thank you so much for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you. As the world waits on the next big federal indictment, don't take your eyes off what is happening in the states. We're going to tell you about some very big indictment news out of the state of Michigan and what it has to do with the investigation down in Georgia. That is next. Believe it or not, we have more big indictment news this evening. It involves a special prosecutor and an attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 election. But I am not talking about Jack Smith. I am talking about Michigan. Last night on a conservative podcast, a lawyer known for pushing the big lie, a woman named Stephanie Lambert, she claimed that she has been indicted. Lambert was a part of a group of Trump allies who, after the 2020 election, allegedly went around Michigan conning three different counties into handing over a total of five voting machines. They then allegedly took those machines to hotel rooms and Airbnbs, where they allegedly broke into them, the machines, and ran what they believed to be forensic tests. They were looking for evidence that somehow these voting machines had thrown the election to Joe Biden. Now, there are a ton of pretty wild parts to the story, like how the reason this investigation is being handled by a special prosecutor in the first place is because one of the suspects in this case is a man named Matt DiPerno, who last year was the Republican nominee for the attorney general of Michigan. Or how two of the other suspects are a former state lawmaker and a literal sheriff, both of whom allegedly use their former positions to give this whole scheme an air of credibility. But the part that I think is important tonight is that of the nine people involved in this alleged scheme in Michigan, five of them were also involved in another scheme in a different state. The names you might remember from these nine people are Jeffrey Lenberg and Doug Logan. Both of them consider themselves forensic tech experts. You might remember Logan as the CEO of the now defunct Cyber Ninjas group that caused all that chaos down in Arizona. 
And as it turns out, Lenberg and Logan are two of the guys who were caught on surveillance footage allegedly repeatedly breaching the voting equipment in Coffee County, Georgia, in January of 2021. And that alleged breach is one of the focuses of Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis and her investigation into Trump's attempt to overturn the election in the state of Georgia. So Jeffrey Lenberg and Doug Logan were busy guys. Very, very busy. Trump attorneys Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani were the ones to allegedly coordinate all of this breaching. They used five of the members of the Michigan plot to do some more voting machine tests down in Georgia. And the data that these guys got from the alleged breach of this voting equipment in Georgia, that data was ultimately sent to none other than Stephanie Lambert, that lawyer who now claims that she has been indicted in the state of Michigan. So I know everyone is waiting with bated breath, me included, for a charging decision from Jack Smith. But don't sleep on the states. Michigan and Georgia are busy right now. Up next, the calendar is getting crowded as Trump's legal woes pile up. What today's big announcement means for his Mar-a-Lago trial date when we come back. These new charges dropped on Donald Trump today add to a real pile of legal concerns. We are still awaiting an indictment from the special counsel for Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election. But the calendar is already quite full. There is the civil fraud suit against the Trump organization that was filed by New York AG Letitia James. That trial is scheduled to begin on October 2nd of this year. Then on January 15th of next year, E. Jean Carroll's other civil defamation suit against Trump is scheduled to be back in court. And that is, incidentally, the same day as the Iowa caucuses. Then comes Super Tuesday, which is a big thing if you are running for president. And a few weeks after that, on March 25th, Trump will be in court to face his first criminal trial brought by Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. That one's over falsified documents related to his hush money payments to an adult film star. We are also still waiting potential charges out of Fulton County, Georgia, which may happen in the next few weeks. And currently, at this very moment, the Mar-a-Lago classified documents trial is scheduled to begin in a federal courtroom in Florida on May 20th of next year. Joining us now is our not-so-secret weapon, MSNBC legal analyst Lisa Rubin. Lisa, thank you as always for—you an- answer so—people m- don't even know how many questions you answer for me off-air, but thank you for answering the questions on-air. First one is, does this superseding indictment change the timetable for the Mar-a-Lago trial? I think it could, right? We now have a three-defendant case. Yeah. We're going to see some additional discovery. I don't think it will be nearly as voluminous as what we've seen before, but— There's going to be additional phone records, additional texts, additional surveillance footage. We know now from the superseding indictment that they had surveillance footage of Nauda and De Oliveira walking along like the perimeter of Mar-a-Lago, right? There's a whole part about them walking through the bushes from one part of the property to another. They've got surveillance footage of multiple locations that are even referenced in this indictment. So I think the discovery burden will increase that. Plus, We have the possibility of additional pretrial motions that can't be stopped. And one of those is called a severance motion. That's when one defendant says, I can't get a fair trial if I'm sitting next to that guy. Hmm. That's a hard argument for someone like Walt Nauta to make, particularly given that he remains employed as Trump's body guy. But we don't know what the status of Carlos de Oliveira is right now. We also, he's not as implicated in the criminal charges here as Nauda and Trump are. He could say that the pretrial publicity surrounding the former president is so 
massive that he and Nauta can't possibly get a fair mm. trial as ordinary people who work in service of the president. Well, that seems like a reasonable case to be made, given who we're talking about here. Yeah, and I think their lawyers probably will make it. When you talk about the evidence and discovery, um, there seems to be a lot of electronic records that are mentioned in this. Did you, I know this is something that, that you have flagged. What, what stood out to you in this superseding indictment? I think one of the things that stood out to me is really that there are more phones than we knew that were in Jack Smith's possession, right? So one of the things we know is that they have Nautis phones. How do we know that? Because his text messages are not only cited throughout mm -hmm. the indictment and the original indictment too, but because his lawyer said so in open court last week that two of his, at least two of his phones were seized through a search warrant. What we now know is that they must have either De Oliveira or Trump employee four believed to be Yusil Tavares, they must have their phones as well. Hmm. How do we know that? Because they have electronic communications that are solely between the two of them. Right, that they couldn't got, have gotten out of Nauta's. The, the other piece of this is there, there seems to be some kind of witness who played a key role in bringing this Bedminster audio tape, bringing that sort of kerfuffle, what are yeah. we going to call that? It's not being charged as a dissemination case. Bringing that incident down to Florida, right? Someone said the thing Trump was waving around was an actual Iran war document. And now the feds can charge Trump on that because they have in their possession the Iran war plan. Yeah, but the way that they have the Iran war plan is revealed in this indictment. And it's surprising to me. So one of the things we see in this indictment is a list of all the documents, the classified documents that Trump is being charged with willfully and unlawfully retaining. That new document, the Iran war document, it has dates of when he unlawfully retained it. They all start January 20th, 2021, that's yeah. the day he left office. Most of them end June 3rd, 2022. That's the date that the DOJ and the FBI went down to Mar-a-Lago to meet with Evan Corcoran. But this one, the Iran war document, what's the end date on it? January. January 17th of 2022. That's the same day that Trump returned the first tranche of 15 boxes to the National Archives. And we know that because it's in the indictment as well. But so why does that, I mean, what does that suggest? What do you draw from that? That they've had this document in their possession for a while. They didn't charge on it initially. They might not have known that was, in fact, the document. And you were discussing earlier tonight yeah. with Tully Farhadi and Weinstein that they must have also had a witness who could confirm for them, yes, that is the document I saw at that meeting in Bedminster in July of 2021. And they can now bring in that episode to this trial, right? That seems important for public opinion because the whole thing with this case is, well, how grave is it? How serious is it? And yep. now they can bring into the courtroom in Florida Florida. Well, this is how serious it was. There were U.S. military plans to attack Iran, and the president was waving them around to just anybody just so that he could basically have a war of, of words with Mark Milley and, and try and win that war. That's right. And we've always known that that episode was enormous in terms of demonstrating Trump's intent, right? He says to the people assembled there, I shouldn't be showing you this, but look, look at this. Now we have the document in question. You'll remember that after the initial indictment, 
Trump told multiple media outlets, no, I never had a document or I was rummaging around my drawers. I have newspaper articles and all sorts of stuff. It must have been one of those. Oh, they were some plans. Oh, I really just meant golf course plans. He was all over the place in explaining what this was, but he repeatedly denied that he had a classified document that was shown to the people at Bedminster. We now know definitively that that is not true. The special counsel would not have put in the indictment that the document he waved around was in fact the document charged in count 32 unless they have very crystal clear evidence of that. Yeah, well, the consciousness of guilt on all three, uh, on the part of all of them, the hush, the shh emoji, the audio room, sneaking around the property, waving around the document, then lying about it, knowing that it was not declassified. It's all in there. It's a real, it's a real read, this indictment. Lisa Rubin, it is always good to see you. Thank, Thank you, my friend, for joining me this evening. That is our show for tonight. 